Over the past few weeks, we've shared several crucial expertise for new farmers to get up to sprinting speed in Mzanzi's agri-sector. A week ago, we shared a guide on how to fund your farm. And this week, we shared the 101 on registering your farming business. Biosecurity and poultry farming go hand in hand and experts believe it is the first line of defense in the fight against poultry diseases. Western Cape poultry farmer Joandra Gregory agrees and this week shares top tips for new farmers. South Africans loves a mouth-watering pochi and this week our Agripreneur 101 segment features Ulrich Lekei aka the pochi guy. Then this week we're reading a book titled Setting the Table by Danny Mayer and it's for sure a must read for the new year. And our formative of the week comes from Kelly Dini, who's the customer experience consultant at Seeds for Africa. This is Farmers Inside Track, supported by Food for Mzansi. Inspiration for your business and life. From South Africa's farmers and agripreneurs. Hey, I'm Zanzi. And welcome to episode 109 of Food from Zanzi's podcast called Farmers Inside Track. I am Dor Numdu, the editor for audience and engagement at Food from Zanzi, and joining me is my co-host and Food from Zanzi's head of news, Duncan Masiwa. Hi Dawn, and hello to all the new farmers and regular listeners from the more than 90 different countries across the globe. I'm super excited for today's episode. This week, Food from Zanzi's Nicole Ludov chats to agricultural lawyer Katlejo Ngwane, who shares the 101 on registering your farming business. Thank you so much, Dawn and Duncan. Now, Katlejo, can you tell us if business registration is mandatory for farming operations? Do farmers with varying types of operations require multiple registrations? No and yes. No, because depending on your size, you know, you have to look at the costs of starting a new business and, well, business registrations. And if you're still very small, I would always say remain a sole proprietor and don't register a PTY limited just yet because there's costs that involve that, including the fact that you have to then report to SARS, do your annual returns and all of that. And that obviously incurs costs. And that's probably unnecessary expenses when you're still very small and starting out. So if you're still very small and starting out, I would suggest that you remain a sole proprietorship until you get to a point where you want to separate yourself as an entrepreneur, separate yourself, the person, from the business itself, especially when you start gaining liabilities and all of that. So that's when you would register P2I Limited. And then in terms of type of operation, it's also like, do you own any land? If you own land, you might want to put that in a trust instead of a P2I Limited, because in a trust, it needs to live on forever. And a P2I Limited then is just your operating company and not attached to the land that you own. If the business fails, the P2I Limited fails, you still own the land or the trust still owns the land and you can't lose it and creditors can't come for you and try to take your land from you. So it just depends on how big you are, one. And two, what are you doing? Do you own land? Are you renting land and all of that? If you own land, I would suggest you put it in a trust so it just stays in your family forever instead of you as a person or a P2I Limited because P2I Limited 
are considered people in a way so because they're considered people it also means that creditors can come against the pty limited that person for any debt that's incurred or any bad business deal that goes wrong it just depends on size requirements to register a company it's not different you know so if you're doing a pty limited it's no different from being a pty limited as an accounting firm or a law firm or whatever business the business that sells bags or whatever so it's all the same it's the same business registration process it's not that different the only difference is i guess when agriculture is that you will have other compliance issues that you have to face in terms of maybe what the department of agriculture requires and all of that in terms of what specifically you are farming with but in terms of just straight business registration is the same process as any other business in the country so tips or pieces of advice to register your business and look if you want to register your businesses you must look at your size your income and what works best so i would always say get advice from a lawyer or your accountant lastly do you have any tips or pieces of advice for farmers who want to register their businesses so ask your lawyer or accountant what is the best uh, model for you um, because you don't want to pay too much taxes you don't want to pay too much to small fees that actually add up you know if you're small like annual returns and all of that admin including the costs that go with that admin so it's always best to be wise from the get go and asking advice from experts what works for you when and then you change it when your business gets bigger or it requires more formalized business there's nothing wrong with having what is called an informal business but it's actually not it's still a business and sole proprietorships are still recognized in the country a valid form of business that would be my tips and advice that you have to get advice about it given the scale of your business how big you think it is and of course having a business plan always helps you know because then you can almost tell in the future do you have 3 years 5 years how's it going to work so that would be my advice thanks nicole and great having you agricultural lawyer katlego ngwanye We now switch things up from business to biosecurity. I'm sure many farmers would agree that biosecurity and poultry farming go hand in hand. This week, Western Cape poultry farmer Joandra Gregory shares tips for new farmers. Joandra, what is biosecurity and why is it essential for a poultry operation? Biosecurity in layman terms is protective security measures a poultry farmer puts in place to help prevent disease, viruses, feet and water contaminations from external forces like foreign birds and visitors it's essential because poultry is one of the most affordable and most consumed proteins in SA securing the health of your meat is important for food security and safety of our consumers are there any aspects of poultry biosecurity that you find farmers tend to neglect or underestimate the importance of the most underestimated or neglected biosecurity measure i think it's normally the coop layout as a small or informal farmer we tend to neglect that aspect and that aspect is the most important one because your coop layout can make or break your project so if your coop is not structured in a way to allow for proper ventilation to get rid of ammonia which is one of the greatest form of illness amongst the smaller or new poultry farmers you end up losing birds lose money and you get discouraged so the way you structure that coop the way you build that coop that is very very important because like i said 
the structure of your coop will determine the health of your birds. Another thing is also disposing of manure. There's a certain distance that manure needs to be away from your chicken coops. And due to, and what I found in my experience is due to lack of space and land constraints, the small and informal farmers tend to store compost close to the chicken coops. And that is one thing that can't happen. That is the greatest biosecurity bridge, basically, because it's almost like taking your sack away and put it in front of your door. The chickens breathe in all of that, and that tends to make them sick. And then finally, do you have any biosecurity tips or pieces of advice for poultry farmers? First things first, biosecurity should be understood. Biosecurity should be implemented from the get-go. It's an everyday thing. You can't pick and choose when you want to do it. They say practice make perfect, and in this case, promote animal health. It's an everyday thing. It needs to be practiced on a regular basis. That will be my tip. And I know as a small farmer, you have hundreds of duties. But in your day-to-day operation, I will say pick three biosecurity processes. Implement it daily and stick to it. That will be the easiest way. So you pick the three that is manageable out of everything that you can do and stick with it. It will improve the health and the growth of your chickens. Great having you, Western Cape poultry farmer, Joanna Gregory. Listen, South Africans love a mouth-watering poichi. And this week, our Agripreneur 101 segment features Ulrich Lake, also known as the Pochi Guy. Now, his aim is to deliver the traditional Umzanzi flavor without all the hassle, of course. Ulrich, tell us a bit about your business. I'm from a town called Paul. I moved up to Pretoria in 2001, where I studied a degree in business, and I moved into corporate or worked in corporate until about 2017. I always had a passion for cooking. I always had a passion for making food for loved ones, and I felt that this business would be a way that I could actually do that for more people. I enjoy cooking and I enjoy cooking for friends and the the particular food that I enjoy cooking is hearty, feel-good type of food. I realized that in Gauteng, I guess, people don't always necessarily have the time or the energy to prepare that kind of food. I mean, some of our meals can cook for up to four to five hours. So I realized that there is a niche for me to create this and to cook this kind of food, which makes people feel good. What made me think that this is viable is that I received a request from two close friends, two separate dates. I think it was a Saturday and a Sunday. And this was in 2015. I made boiki, I made lamb shank for the one party, and I made seafood paella boiki for the second party. The feedback that I got from those events was so rewarding that I thought to myself that I should commercialize this. I had always heard that if you do something that you love, that it doesn't feel like work. That was how I felt about cooking these meals. So I looked for whether there are other people or other companies that do this kind of work. I didn't find any. And I thought that I need to commercialize this. So recipes, consistency, that sort of drove me to start this business. What keeps you inspired and motivated? It's about supply and demand. It's about knowing what your product is and knowing that there is a market that wants that product, how you differentiate yourself or your product from your competitors and deciding what the differentiating factor is. 
The challenge is getting people to buy your product. Once you get through that, it's a lot easy. You get repeat business, repeat customers, your reputation improves or increases, and it allows for your brand to grow. From a rewarding aspect, for me, it's always rewarding when I get positive feedback from a client. So whenever I get the feedback saying that it's one of the best meals or oxtail or dumpling or whatever the case may be that it's one of the best that they've eaten or even that it reminds from childhood memories possibly a grandparent or parent making this kind of food that's really rewarding for me what are your five tips for aspiring agripreneurs who may want to follow in your footsteps first tip is know your product so know what it is understand who else is doing it or making that product Understand what is your differentiator. So are you making low cost at high volume or are you making a high quality but lesser volume, possibly for a niche market? Know what your product is. The second tip is distribution. You can have a a product, but if nobody knows how to get it, then you'll struggle to make sales. So my piece of advice is that you look out for places where you are able to distribute or sell your product. That'll give you an idea also of the volumes that can produce or that you can make. It'll also tell you whether it's something that you can do full-time or part-time. That's a big thing that you might think that you can sell your product full-time, but demand for your product doesn't allow that. Then it'll help you to know that maybe for the first year or two years, you do it part-time. And then as it scales up, you can then consider going full-time. My third piece of advice is In your journey of doing this, find partners, connect with people. For me, it was important that I connected with people that could introduce me to distribution, to marketing opportunities. So find contacts or reach out to contacts. We created very good informal networks prior to COVID through markets, you know, Brown Sense markets. Get good partnerships to get your product out there and for you to also know what's happening in the market. The fourth tip is know when to say no. Clients will try and push or will try and make you alter or adjust your product. And typically it would be to save on costs on the client side. Know when to say no. Sometimes you have to walk away from business. Sometimes you have to walk away from a situation that will affect your business adversely. My fifth tip know why you are doing it. You know, know why you're getting into business. If you're getting into business to make money, then you might not be doing it for the right reasons and that might affect the quality of your product. So know why you're getting into this. If you are passionate about product, if you love doing it, if you love making it, that means that you will give your client the the best experience and you will make sure that you give a good quality product. Know why you're getting into this. That will really help you. It will be your tether and it'll help keep your direction with where you're going with the business. I'd say that is the last piece of advice. Before we let you go, next up, our book of the week as chosen by Farmers is Setting the Table by Danny Mayer. In the book, he shares the lessons he learned developing the dynamic philosophy he calls enlightened hospitality. So it occurred to me that we must be doing something that I had to learn about because if I'm a leader, As any of us are, we are charged with having a vision, holding our team accountable, and for doing the right thing. For me, what that had meant for all these years 
was doing the intuitive thing. And I felt that if I could only name what this was that was working, obviously, I could be a much more effective leader because I could lead with intention, if I could find language and words to teach me. And it hit me like a lightning rod that the thing that Zagat is not asking anybody about and the thing that nobody taught me growing up is that hospitality is the answer and that hospitality is a completely different discipline than service. And so I spent four years when I wasn't running restaurants and bringing up kids and trying to be a good husband, really trying to look in the mirror and find out what was working so well and what was hospitality. I've heard the word my whole life, but no one had ever defined it. I'd heard the word service my whole life, but no one ever defined that. And so I did a little bit of historic research, not a lot, so I'm a pretty intuitive kind of thinker. Here's what really occurred to me. I think that this country has pretty much gotten the kinds of economies it has needed when it most needed them. And I remember growing up in the 1970s primarily and hearing about quality. Quality is job number one. We're going to win with quality. And then I started hearing the word service. We're going to win by having the best service. And in fact, I think as a country, we did a pretty good job of coming back. We were getting our rear ends kicked by countries all over the world who understood that performance, which I define as excellence plus service, okay, how good is the product and how well do you deliver on the promise. Agriculture is not just about farming. It's about caring, and that's an ideal worth preserving. It's yummy. It's good for you. And the whole family loves it. It's grain-filled chickens, proudly South African and mouth-wateringly delicious. Discover a world of tasty goodness and visit Grain-Filled Chickens for CO.ZA or like our Facebook page for more. Grain-Filled Chickens, a proud member of VKB. VKB, for the love of the land. Don, I don't know about you, but I'm definitely getting my hands on a copy of that book. Now, remember, if you'd like to review a book or perhaps you have a book suggestion of your own, feel free to email us at infofoodformzanzi.co.za. Before we let you go, this week's farmer tip comes from Kelly Dinney, who is the customer experience consultant at Seeds for Africa, and she shares a few tips on growing seedlings. Approach your small-scale farmers first. Just so you get an idea for the market, what the farmers are looking for, basically do some trials before you go too big, because obviously it can be expensive. You don't want to fail on a big crop and then have wasted all your money. So there's no reason why you can't approach your retail spaces. Maybe there's grocery stores close by that would be happy to buy your produce from you. And then also support local or local up-and-coming farmers too. And our farmer tip of the week from Kelly Dini, Customer Experience Consultant at Seeds for Africa brings us to the end of this week's Farmers Inside Track, proudly brought to you by Foodform Zanzi. For daily inspirational stories about the farmers and agriculturalists to go above and beyond to feed South Africa, visit foodformzanzi.co.za or follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and YouTube as well. And don't forget about our weekly sessions on Twitter spaces called Gather to Grow. You've heard me say this a thousand times, but I'll say it again. If you love the podcast, please rate it and share it with your friends, family members, and fellow farmers. The Farmer's Inside Track is available for free on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, 
and also, of course, on foodformzanzi.co.za. From me, Duncan Masiwa, Don Numdu, Nicole Ludov, and our producer, Megan Funderfent. And of course, also from Food from Zanzi, have a great week. Corteva is in it for farmers, for good. As a company solely focused on agriculture, we understand the impact of climatic and soil diversity, the unique requirements of each region, each farmer, each crop, and the need for sustainability. To this, we apply our global mind with 5,000 researchers in more than 130 countries, ensuring farmers of advanced seed technology and guarding growing investments through innovative crop protection. Local investment includes research facilities on par with our best in the world and the largest private insectary in Africa. Advanced genetic breeding is combined with intense trials, testing and refinement in different bioclimatic zones to bring forth the best in-class products. Beyond in-seed value, our on-seed applied technology on farm crop protection, digital and agronomic solutions are all designed to optimize farmers' productivity, profitability and sustainability. Because by being wholly devoted to agriculture, we have a deeper understanding of farming, the needs of our farmers, and the country's need for farmers. This is what drives our researchers to find new avenues for sustainable growth. It is the reason for having state-of-the-art seed production technology on home ground. Our motivation for creating effective, locally proven solutions to protect land and crops with care for the future. This is the world of Corteva in South Africa. Growing progress, enriching lives, now and for generations to come. Corteva, keep growing.